talk sports, but we came here to win. The most legit podcast, that's why we know you're tuning in. We cover the biggest news, we underdogs, but we can't lose. So trust the process, yes you, because we got Chris and Anju to bless you. With the best features, best stories, we diving deep like a Lambo leap. Wake up, kid, and stop snoring, we on point just like this beat. Bring the passion like the dog pound. In the cold, get a gold brand. Sit back and raise the cat, because we start this show like right now. Hey everybody, welcome to this week's episode of The Underdog. Chris Horwardale, joined by Anshu Kana. Anshu! Chris! How's it going? Good. Do you like that voice there I had? I was trying out something. I, I don't know if I'm going to keep up with it. No, I wouldn't if I were you, but that's just me. <laughs> Fair enough. You're the pro. I'm merely the cohort. Hey, can I tell you something absolutely crazy? I meant to mention this uh, a couple of weeks ago. But then there's Bo checking yes, in. Your your Bo, excited. not my Bo. Um, right. We both have dogs named Bo. That's what we're here to talk about. A couple of, couple of weeks yes. ago, we hit episode 175. Wow, that's pretty cool. That's a that's big a number. It is a big number. It's uh, yeah, that's that's wild. Cool. Congratulations, buddy. And to you. And it got me thinking about. How much time we've actually spent talking about sports over these last oh, God. four years? And it's, you know, figure, let's just call it an hour an episode. The The average would probably fall slightly over an hour. So we're talking about, and this is just what we recorded, not before or after when we're talking. Oh, yeah. We're talking That's about like- a full week of you and I talking about sports. Damn. That's, I mean, honestly, I think we could do that anyway. So do you, we could just yeah. double that up if you want. Just well, I have, long retreat. Yeah, I've been, uh, I've been advocating that we just have lines open all the time to, <laughs> between you and I, and we could just record that and stream it out live. I think, uh, yeah. I think there's a market for that. I think, it, I, I, I think it might have been called the Truman Show, but um, <laughs> the True Men Show. Oh, okay. wow, uh, men in, in quotation never. marks, but uh, yes. Yes. <laughs> Very masculine. That's not what we're here to discuss. That's obvious. What right, we're here correct. to discuss is a lot going on, actually, for uh, it being June 9th in the midst of uh, a global pandemic and where 20, 22 states are reporting increases in hospitalizations. It looks like we're going to have sports pretty soon, at least at least basketball pretty soon. We have We have a date now. July 31st will be the return of the NBA. Uh, last week it was likely. Now it is set in stone um how do you feel about this and how do you feel about the fact that it occurred to me as we wait for july 31st to come we're basically ensuring that this is going to be the shortest summer of all of our lives (laughs) uh feel really good that we're gonna have it um have basketball i'm still not totally sure if that's going to be the first regular season game that we see um, in terms of one of the three major sports, uh, I still Shots hold out. Shots hockey. That's right. That's right. Um, I, I'm still holding out hope for baseball. I believe that, I mean, at the time of this, we, we've got proposals being exchanged, but again, I give, again, I give credit to Adam Silver and to the NBA PA for being able to get together and, you know, close out what has been a pretty fun and interesting season. And, um, you know, as we're seeing with the NBA, first of all, so fitting that they be the ones to to have the plan set in motion. But, you know, as we're seeing like today, 
as recently as today. There, this has ramifications that don't just end mm-hmm. at the end of the playoffs. They are going to trickle in the next season with delays. And then I know, as you've pointed out, that's kind of maybe that'll become the norm going forward, but they're already talking about a truncated 2021 yep. season. So, um, and I think that that's probably justified, but you know, in an effort to get this back to finish the season out and to do it the right way, I think that it's totally merited. And, um, I don't think that it's going to cause a big shift in what would have been the results in next year's play. I, I don't think. I, th- I think you're, you're probably right. I am. I don't know. It, a, a little bit against just trying to shorten the season because it does really feel like December is a natural starting point for the NBA. But mm-hmm. but this plan as it currently exists, just it can't happen. We were talking about the potential for a 28-day off season in the NBA. That just, that's mm-hmm. not going to work. And we're even seeing now... That's so absurd. Yeah, yeah it's crazy. It's, it's yeah, crazy. Yeah. Um, but we're even seeing now that they're saying, okay, maybe maybe that date isn't set in stone. Yeah, yeah. And I think that that's the right way to go about it. And I mean, again, we, we talk about this with baseball, right? I do for sure in particular in that, like, you know, this roster construction is set out years and years in advance. And the mm. good NBA teams are doing that as well. Although I think it's certainly much more reactive than baseball in terms of setting out. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, a more corporate agenda, I would say. Um, and I, I mean, but that being said, there's still a lot that gets canceled. And, you know, like, I mean, the off season being shortened up so much, that's when I would think a lot of these front offices are doing a lot of their work in terms of like, you know, n- not violating any rules that the NBA might have. And or in violating terms of, rules. Well, yeah. <laughs> in the case right. of free agency and tampering. Right, right. That's what I mean, tampering, exactly. So, I, yeah, I think that keeping that not super short is a smart move. And, you know, the players just need it. Like, they just absolutely need it. But I will say there is a consideration of these teams that are not in the playoffs because not everyone's making it, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think that having a nine-month layoff for some of these teams, which they, <laughs> quite frankly, most of them need, I mean, it's that's – that's, you know, you, you definitely risk alienating fan bases by doing things like that, I think. Um, but, you know, definitely. it's a necessary yes. evil. Now, we've heard plans that maybe there could be organized mini camps and, like, scheduled exhibition games and stuff like that. The Cavs and the Hawks have talked about putting forth a plan where, you know, they would basically practice together and there would be three televised games. I think they'll be able to figure something out for those teams that want to take advantage of that. But I can also see mm-hmm. a team like the Warriors saying, yeah, I'm good. We'll see you next yeah. year. Well, that's clearly the fly in the ointment of the idea for sure. Because I think that a team like the Warriors is all too happy to take every day off that they can from here till then. And um, if I'm the NBA, I, you know, we talked about New York and Chicago being major markets that aren't going to be factored in. But I yeah. mean, the Warriors are probably the most popular team across the country right now with the generation that they're targeting. You know, mm-hmm. like, I mean, I see Steph Curry jerseys everywhere I go. <laughs> it's just even out here. And so I just think that, you know, they there's definitely some risk tied to all, all this. And I, I mean, they're they're doing the best they can. And again, I give them so much credit for getting on the ball and recognizing that there are cascading issues that emanate from this. But I do think that, like, I mean, it's not, it's not all sunshine and roses. It's not all like, oh, we get this, we have this NBA playoffs. This is awesome. It's so great mm-hmm. that they're coming back. I mean, there are issues 
endemic to what's happening here. And I think that that's going to be an issue, big, big time problem for some of the fans. I mean, for a t- for a game that's renowned for its globalization, I think that there's the possibility of some some problems. And we're seeing a reversal on what we were hearing last week about rules regarding the bubble. You know, Jared Dudley came out and said, hey, guys are going to be able to come and go from the bubble. It's not, they're not going to be locked in there. But yesterday, Shams tweeted out that uh, any player who leaves the bubble is going to be subject to no less than a 10-day quarantine and have to have two negative tests. Wow. Yeah, I mean, (laughs) I don't want to, I know you're not the biggest Jared Dudley guy as we talked about. Oh, I hate him. But But I think that shit. He's probably, I mean, guys are going to leave and mm-hmm. it's just going to happen, but I, I'm not, it, they could both be right. I mean, they could be allowed to potentially come and go, but they could also, maybe not allowed, but it's not like they're going to be like under lock and key basically. But it's just, it, to me, it's probably, the, my guess is what Shams is saying is also true, that the NBA is going to institute kind of like a general soft rule and then it'll be up to the teams to enforce it. Um, but at the same time, I mean, I don't know. I don't know how they're going to do that. And I think it goes back to your original point about multiple states having increased issues. Like, I think that wherever we are as a country relative to the pandemic at that point is going to dictate how strictly they enforce those rules. I don't agree with you. I think these rules are going to be enforced very strictly, honestly, mm. because this is big business. No matter what? No matter, no matter what. No matter okay. who it is, because even if it's – look, even if it's LeBron James who leaves for whatever reason – and, you know, he comes back and they have – they could have five games in the next ten days with mm-hmm. how the schedule is going to play out. Mm-hmm, you, mm-hmm. you would rather lose LeBron James for two weeks than have the league shut down. Yeah. I, I mean, totally true. But that being said, like, I mean, the, the whole thing is is happening because they have decided they will not shut down the league barring – you know, some bright line where, you know, it's, it's too much to, mm. there are too many people that have the coronavirus at that point. I, but I don't, I hear you. I, I just, I think I'm just hesitating to say it either way, because I think that like, yes, if it was tomorrow, I totally agree. They'd be extremely careful and cautious, but I think that, you know, the way things are trending in a month and a half, I could see the NBA relaxing its standards, especially for its stars. I genuinely don't think so, and I think teams would lose, not, would the lose their collective right. shit if <laughs> if we saw preferential treatment towards star players for this stuff. Yeah, yeah. If that's two guys leave, you know, even let's say two guys are out together, and uh, and the star gets to play the next day, and the lesser player is subject to a ten day quarantine, like teams would lose their minds. You're playing for playoff position. You're playing for playoff money. There's a reason they're back. It's not because, oh, it's so great to give America sports again. There's a ton of money on the line. Absolutely. No, you're, I mean, you're definitely right about that. I, but again, I think that like what the public doesn't know won't hurt it, you know, but I mean, yeah, you're right. Like if, if LeBron, I, I don't, I, let's just assume that the bubble is going to be enforced because I hope that that's the case. And I think that, you know, I think I, I, I'm anxious because I think that that is a huge part of the, what's so compelling about the whole idea, Mm -hmm. you know, like just the thought that these guys have to be in their big brother style for a couple months in their house, you know, like, or in this small area. There has to be some kind of documentary done, right? Oh yeah. I I think you brought that up. I mean, it's an absolute must. They should just hard, just send the hard knocks crew down there. Why not? There, you have to, there, this, 
I, Hardwood. There you go. Any given day with yeah. <laughs> any given day with um. <laughs> Shots, you're not a marketing expert. <laughs> Maybe you can't use that name. It was a plan. I think that might be what we're concerned about with the players leaving the bubble, quite yeah. frankly. But, uh, but yes. you know, one day's, one day's events with, you know, how many people? 200 and, 250 like NBA players in a bubble together and potentially more as there's discussion about expanding the rosters to 17 to 20 players to combat, uh, combat guys who were lost due to coronavirus. And by the way, that also speaks mm-hmm. to what the NBA thinks is going to happen. And that tells me the NBA assumes that teams are going to lose guys. Like this is going to be a fairly yeah. common occurrence. But I, 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 I think you're right. I think that they're also just trying to, you know, just check every single box along the way. They're trying to make sure that every I is dotted and T is crossed in terms of like, let's, let's try to foresee every possible issue here. And I give them credit on that. Although I don't know if you saw what Woj said. He, he thought that most teams would be, um, likely to just keep the guys that they have and essentially promote from within rather than, um, you know, signing external players. Well, I mean, it's all going to depend on salary cap ramifications too, and all, and whether or not these guys count fully against the cap. And we just don't have that information. But there is one guy floating out there who's a pretty hot target between the Miami Heat and the Los Angeles Lakers. Both of them actively trying to bring Demarcus Cousins onto the roster for the playoffs. Wow, yeah, that uh, can't blame them. I mean, that's such a great. It, like, there's really no negative to that situation. So. Um, you know, that'd be really interesting, especially if he's able to play any kind of viable minutes. I thought it was interesting related to that, related to Cousins, is, you know, Kevin Durant saying that he's not going to play at all. Um, mm-hmm. And I know you had sort of mentioned that that was probably going to happen anyway. There was a little brief glimmer from uh, the gambling sites that said, you know, he that sort of ups the Nets odds to win the championship. Maybe it was just to protect themselves, but the implication was maybe Durant does come back. And I, I mean, that that's another, you know, just thinking about the fact that they're coming back so much later. Again, we talked about last week, but they basically had a full off season off, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, by the time we start up. So like, how different does that look? We're talking about young men, you know, that are still sort of like developing physically in many cases, you know, I, I mean, like, one off season can make a huge difference for a player. We know that. And so I like the way this looks, I, I think that that's another just incredibly compelling piece to this entire NBA puzzle. Like who jumps out? I mean, Luca is a third year player basically instead of a second year player. Like does that, is there even another level that he's able to ascend to in the late season of the playoffs that he didn't have earlier? And I just think that that kind of goes in hand in hand with some of the guys that, um, you know, may be injured in coming back in that sort of circumstance. Yeah, oh, so much of the rest of the NBA season is going to depend on what kind of shape these guys have kept themselves in over yes. the last three and a half months. Oh, yeah. You look at, you know, I'm, I'm terrified about, I'm terrified about a lot of my 76ers. Joel is concerned. Oh, yeah. Me. But, yes. but on the other hand, look at a guy, I don't know if you've seen the pictures of Nikola Jokic in Denver. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Joker is in the best shape of his life and sporting an eight pack all of a sudden. 
Yeah, man. I mean, like the guys that stayed around and were able to be around the facilities, it's going to be a difference because like guys like Luca did go back to Europe. I believe he did. I know a couple others did. Um, you know, the difference that that's definitely a, a massive factor too, especially when you think of like for Jokic and that Nuggets team in particular, just the way that they could quickly congeal coming back. And, you know, the rest of the team is pretty young. Like again, going back to that point, maybe they're able to grow quickly. And, you know, you've got other older injury-prone teams, but they've had some rest. Those individuals have had some rest. Guys like players on the Clippers and Lakers. So mm-hmm. I think that they're – I think it's it's an incredibly fascinating whole set of circumstances. If Joker comes back with more athleticism and better conditioning, my goodness. You're talking yeah. about one, one of the ten best players in basketball and – this is the thing about the truncated season that kind of bugs me is it is going to hinder development for some guys because so much of a, a player's improvement happens by himself or with a trainer in the offseason. Mm-hmm. And it, it kind of sucks for me in, in the Ben Simmons situation because he's not going to have this three-month offseason to just go sit around and shoot and gain more confidence. All of a sudden, so much of the confidence that he's going to have going into the next season is going to be based on what happens at the end of this season. Yeah, no, I know. I that makes sense. Although he could have taken this time to <laughs> figure that stuff out. But well, yeah, I, mean, I saw a picture back. today, and that guy is in some kind of shape. He is. Oh, I'm, I'm not go. worried about that. I just don't know if he's been shooting a basketball. The shooting, yeah. Well, that's the interesting thing. I think I, I can't remember if it was Giannis or. Maybe it was Zach Levine. One of those guys, I, I read something about how they hadn't even it's like, touched a basketball. I think it was Giannis. Hadn't even yeah. touched a basketball for weeks, maybe months. It was insane to see because he's such a high-profile player, you know, but um, I don't think he's going to have much of an issue. Yeah, that was Giannis. Um, Levine was actually in that, uh, let's call he it, was Ill, in- ill-fated horse competition. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's the right way to describe it. So, good idea. The uh, the actual execution was lacking, but we were definitely mm-hmm. in a time where any kind of sports content was quality sports content. And so be yes. it in that case. Uh, last thing about basketball I wanted to talk about. It's looking more and more like the Chicago Bulls have a clear front runner for their next head coach in the form of Philadelphia 76ers assistant Ime Adoku. How you feeling about it? I will defer to you on that. I mean, I'm excited. I, I'm excited for anyone but Boylan, basically, at this point. Um, I really trust Carson Elvis. So, I'm again, like, n- tough to know what Mark Eversley is going to look like as GM. Tough to know what either Agent Griffin or Aduka is going to look like as the head coach. But, um, you know, I'm all in favor of a diverse hire and uh, a hire that's merited, and it seems like he's already put in the time to deserve this job. Yeah, it's another guy in that in that Popovich tree in San Antonio. I'll tell you what, just for me personally, I would rather you took Brett uh, Brett Brown than Adoka. I genuinely, <laughs> wow, really? genuinely mean because I think it's time to move on from Brett. It's nothing against him; he's an outstanding guy. But the offense tends to be a little stagnant. They haven't figured some things out over the course of a handful of years with these guys. They're never going to play a game that perfectly suits their superstars. So Odoku has so much respect and is such a quality defensive coach. Uh, The players love him. I I would honestly be happier with the the devil we don't know in that situation. I'd be pretty happy if, uh, if I were you. The last couple of... Oh, this is going to be the third year in a row Philadelphia loses their head assistant. Last year, mm-hmm. uh, they lost um, 
uh, Lloyd Pierce and prior to that Quinn Snyder. It's guys who have Ooh, wow. had decent success with their, their yes. team. So <laughs> That's a tough one. Yeah. Definitely reason for hope. And God, I hate losing quality coaches. It just destroys the team. Like people it's don't really a... people don't get how important consistency in the coaching staff is to a team. For sure. I, I mean, it's the same thing with, I, I always say about the Packers scouting department too. Like when you, at some point you can lose one maybe, but when you lose, you know, that sort of bedrock to your team, whether it's coaching the fundamentals or, you know, really quality player scouts or acquisition, you know, people who are really familiar with analytics or the cap or whatever the case may be, when you lose several of those people, um, you know, there have become definite cracks in the foundation. And, I mean, I think that that's – it seems like – I don't think that's the case for the Sixers yet, but, you know, you always have to wonder. It's good they were all there for the, you know, the building up of Embiid and Simmons, though. Yeah. Oh, and the the other the, – the, the name I forgot from that list of Philadelphia 76ers lead assistants is a guy named Mike D'Antonio. Oh, minor detail. Not, a, was... not a bad coach. <laughs> yes, not bad at all. Uh, it's, uh, it's killing me, but, you know, so be it. Uh, one football thing real quick. Giant news today. Dalvin Cook will not be taking part in any team activity or reporting to camp until he gets a new deal. One that uh, I believe he calls, uh, what is reasonable contract? Uh, I think we, we might all have different definitions of what reasonable means. This is really interesting. Cook gonna be going into his age 25 season. He's a guy who has already missed a lot of games, you know, only played four games that first year, only played 11 in 2018, played 14 last year. Last year, all of a sudden, a giant leap in terms of touches and all of that. Had 250 carries, which strikes me as a lot for a Dalvin Cook type, in addition yes. to another 60 catches. Oh, man, I just, I just, I'm sorry, in addition to another 26 catches, I would be worried about this, and I, I would be curious as to whether or not he had conversations with Le'Veon Bell or Melvin Gordon before all of this happened. I was going to say the same. I mean, definitely not a lot of tread on those tires, which I think is probably a good thing at this stage. Like, the NFL knows he's a good player. But, man, like, I mean, and the thing is, Alexander Madison stepped up and was pretty good for them. They've, mm -hmm. they've had backups step right in and be just fine. So, um I mean, I understand wanting to cash in in some way, but like, I, I, this tells me that the Vikings have absolutely no interest in, you know, extension talks going into this season. And, um, you know, if you're the Viking, there, there is an other side to this, you know, that, that from a team perspective, it really sucks to not have a guy that you've sort of been planning around, especially sure. halfway through the offseason through the draft. Um, and, you know, and, and pretty much have to go in and, you know, sort of tied and you're, and Dalvin Cook is arguably their best player on offense. So, I mean, that's, it's a big deal. Um, you know, I'm the first to say that running backs aren't worth the money, but, you know, when you draft a guy, we talked about this going up to the draft too. Like when you draft a guy high at running back, you want to capitalize on every year you've got with him yep. to only get one year and change basically out of Dalvin Cook if assuming he holds out. I mean, that's rough. That's a rough look for a team that spent the top 40 pick on this guy. So I, I think that, um, you know, it's going to be really interesting. And I think that it's going to hurt them quite a bit, honestly. Like, even if you concede that Madison's a pretty good player, I, I'm not sure that, you know, they're 
equipped to handle, especially a Gary Kubiak offense where all they want to do is run, run, run. Mm -hmm. I I don't know that this is the best situation, but you're right. Like, I mean, for Dalvin Cook, it's almost a lose-lose for everyone because I'm not sure Cook is going to get what he wants uh, when he gets free. Well, and it's another case where he has the, the penalties for not reporting are much more substantial this time. You lose mm-hmm. that year of uh, you lose that year of credit towards free agency way earlier, and you're losing up to fifty thousand dollars a day. I think up from forty last year. Oof. Oof. So for a guy who's you know only making one point three million dollars next year, like that money is going to go quick. Yeah. That being said, he's going to get signed. You yeah. know, to, that's a twenty six day hold deal. Oh man, twenty six <laughs> days in that contract. He's playing for nothing. <laughs> So he's playing. So he's going to play, basically, is what no, you're saying. No, I'm, just, I'm saying I'm saying he is not going to play without a new contract. It's, yeah, and yeah. it's. I would imagine that this probably ends with him being traded for pennies on the dollar to another team who gives Whoa. him a, who gives him a giant deal. On you know, ironically, San Diego is kind of interesting. Um, the Chargers, the LA Chargers. Oh, so thank you. Yeah, yeah I will. <laughs> I just met San Diego. It was interesting as a town. Really like oh, it. I've heard. It's a border heard town. It's nice weather. <laughs> uh, and I don't think there's any question with Stefan Diggs gone that Cook is unquestionably the best player on that offense. Oh, no doubt. I mean, it's either him or Thielen. I, I but again, I. It's only because like I'm. I'm hesitant to give a running back that much deference, but in this situation, yeah, I mean, I think, I think you can. And especially because of the way they use him, both as a receiver and a, and a, a running back, of course. And so, yeah, I mean, it's, but it's, it's a very awkward situation. And I mean, you brought up, you kind of touched on the injury history, but like that's part of the puzzle when you go in, you're, you're thinking of the calculus. If you're Dalvin Cook and say you're 26 year old, you're a free agent. Okay. Yeah. You're young, but mm-hmm. like you've got some. You got knee issues. I mean, I if I'm a team looking to sign a running back, that would not be the one that would be a high atop my list. Oh yeah, no, the risks are are substantial, and especially Cook is he signed a four year, six point three million dollar contract as a second round pick, and this is the inherent problem with second round pick running backs who overperform that rookie deal is they mm-hmm. want more money as quickly as possible, and teams are very hesitant to give those big money second contracts to running backs. That's why we tend to see them traded quite a bit. Yeah, it's very true. I, I, I understand why he's holding out because, you know, the risk of playing for $1.3 million, while obviously that's a lot of money, that's not a lot of NFL money, versus mm-hmm. potentially tearing your ACL or, you know, your meniscus or whatever – and oh, it's over. All of a sudden, right, maybe maybe you're not the same player coming back. You're definitely not going to get the same kind of contract that you would have previously because you are the injured mm-hmm. running back. It's uh, mm-hmm. a bad situation. What do you think the likelihood is that we see Dalvin Cook in a Minnesota Vikings jersey again? I, I, I'm guessing that Minnesota thinks it's too close to lose an entire season of Dalvin Cook, but... I mean, the writing is kind of on the wall here, too, to your point. I mean, if if he doesn't have a decent, reasonable, uh, you know, extension, I, I don't think that he plays for good reason. And so I would put it at 40, 60. 40, he, he, we do. 60, we don't. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I think that a trade could definitely be in the offing. It just sucks for him. For, he did play this well and solely because, you know, waiting till after the draft really puts the onus on the Vikings. 
Yeah, but you also wonder if it sort of pisses the Vikings off because this is oh, this no was clearly the plan. For sure, for sure. But I mean, you got to think that like the agents reached out to the Vikings asking for an extension. If they, you know, if they're not agreeable to that, then now you've got. And here's the other thing: we don't have a real off season here. Right. Like we, he's not not showing up to like actual mini camps. This is. I assume he's just not showing up to like Zoom calls. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I, it's just I feel like it's probably a very different vibe around like a quote unquote holdout. Right, and this is also why there's no incentive at all for a guy like Jadavian Clowney to sign right now. Just mm-hmm. you, you wait until all of this nonsense is over, then you don't have mm-hmm. to deal with it, and you'll be back before, when the season starts. Yeah, totally. Uh, the rumor totally was uh, the Browns offered him one year, eighteen million. And uh, and he uh, wants a multi-year deal, so we will uh, we'll see how that him. works out. I don't blame him either, but I don't know that that – who has the money to pay him right now? Pretty bad teams with a lot of cap room that aren't sure Jadavion Clowney is worth – you know, because if you're – honestly, it's, it's such a catch-22. If you're a team that feels like you're competitive, then you probably don't have the money to pay Clowney. Like the only team that comes to mind is the Colts and – if you are a team with the money, then you want Clowney to be the difference for you, like between a pretender and like an actual contender. And I, I, I think that most of those teams are really hesitant to give a guy like Clowney, you know, the seventeen million a year or whatever he's looking for. Right now, the the order of NFL cap space rankings: one Cleveland, thirty seven point two; two Washington, thirty six point five. Three Detroit twenty nine point three four Philadelphia twenty four seven five mm. Jets twenty four seven uh, the Bengals twenty four one the Colts twenty three four um, down to the Chargers twenty nine the Texans twenty six that would be funny uh, but the problem is especially in the NFL these teams count on this cap room to roll over to next year yeah this, this is how yeah. you make your cap work you can't. If you go and uh, spend an extra $15 million this year because you had an extra $15 million rollover from last year, all of a sudden you're pretty screwed next year. Totally. No, you're right. I mean, that's – and only one of these teams could sign him anyway. But, yeah, I mean, you're totally right. Like, why not just wait? And then one of these teams got staffs, but say Miles Garrett gets hurt. You know, now mm-hmm. that deal becomes two years, forty million or something, two years, thirty-five, or whatever the case may be. Um, and you know, teams get desperate, and I, I think that that makes a lot of sense. I don't know when the point comes where it doesn't affect the supplemental uh, calculus either. Oh, we're well exactly. past that. Well past that. So we, so it won't impact next year's supplement, supplemental. Uh, I don't believe so. No, I'm pretty sure we're well past that. Um, okay, I'm sorry, comp pick, not supplement. Comp, yeah, I know, I know, I know what you mean. Yeah, doing. okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, okay, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. That, that, why not? Why not? I, I guess. Yeah, I think the money will be there. I think he knows the money will be there, but he's not get every year that he's every day that he's out there. Um, you know, like if it becomes a significant thing. He's what? He's thirty, right? Twenty nine? Like, I mean, I like he's not exactly entering his prime. Oh no! By no by no stretch of the imagination is Jadavian Clowney entering his prime. Uh, he is. Let's find that out right now. He's twenty seven years old, so he's younger than okay, younger than I thought. But younger again, than I thought too. Yeah. He's just never been the guy that we thought he was going to be coming out of college. And uh, the one thing with the Browns, though, is they're in a unique position. Where they can cut Olivier Vernon, he's got a fifteen million dollar fully non guaranteed contract. 
Wow. So they can save fifteen million by cutting Vernon. Effectively, Clowney would only cost them three million dollars if they were to pay him eighteen. It's just That's a matter of nice. <laughs> all of a sudden you have to you have to pay a guy like Miles Garrett next off season. There's a lot of talk that he's going to be the first ever twenty million dollar defensive end, Jeez. and you have Baker Mayfield coming up in a couple of years. So you need to earmark that money for other things for sure. Uh, and uh, effectively, you're just trying to buy a comp pick at this point for when he, you know, he, he signs with somebody else next off season. Yeah, that's true. I mean, if it's a one year deal for sure. Yeah, that makes sense. All right. Well, that's football. Let's take a quick break and we're going to come back to talk about the 2020 major league baseball draft. Oh yes. Let's go. <laughs> we'll be right back. <laughs> hey guys, it's Chris and while there still may be no NBA or NHL or MLB, but Hey, the, the NBA is coming back. You might think there's nothing to bet on, but you would be wrong. Our exclusive partner bet online still has hundreds of events, games, and props to wager on from their online casino to poker and blackjack as they're bringing Vegas to you. And if you're into entertainment betting, you can still bet on stock prices, the weather, or even the Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest. Joey Chestnut, baby. And NASCAR's back. And golf is back. The Charles Schwab Classic this weekend. Kevin Na defending that $7.5 million purse. All of that is open 24 hours a day and all of it available online. Visit the website or use your mobile device and join today to receive the new welcome bonus. Visit our good friends and the exclusive partner at Podcast One Bet Online to take advantage of the best bonuses in the business. Sign up for a free account and make sure you use that promo code PODCAST1, P-O-D-C-A-S-T-O-N-E for your sign-up bonus. Bet Online, your online wagering solution. All right, Anshu, we're back, and it's that time of year that we look forward to more than any, the 2020 Roll 4 Baseball Draft. Amateurs being selected into the major leagues. This is a, a unique situation this year for sure, down from 40 rounds to just five. Also unique, sir, in that this will be the first time the entire Major League Baseball Draft has ever been televised. Very interesting, and I mean... It's it's still going to be the same kind of situation that we saw with the NFL draft, so oh, yeah. I don't expect it to be some kind of like now amazing production. But yeah, usually we'll you'll get the first round, which I I think you and I watch, and maybe nobody else in the world. Yeah, and some um, of the players' then, parents watch. Yeah, and then they just the rest of them I just get on Twitter. So <laughs> the rest of the picks are days two and three. So I think it'll be kind of cool to watch it all uh, unfold. Yeah, I was curious about how much had been covered in the past. Last year, the first two rounds of the draft were televised. The year before that, the first round and the supplemental first round. Mm -hmm. And then prior to that, it was really just the first round. And we don't have to go back very far to a time when the baseball draft wasn't televised. Right. Like that, it, that's, that's how recent we are into the, the production of the Major League Baseball draft. We will get all five rounds televised, and not only televised, but simulcast, both on MLB Network and ESPN. Oh, my, yes. I mean, we are all very much in desperate need of any kind of live action in any way, basically. So to get, you know, to get baseball's draft here, I mean, I, I think it makes sense, because what else are you going to do? I, last Saturday, I actually watched, like, competitive bag throwing for, like, oh. two hours, so... Yeah, well, you live a crazy life. I do. I'm wilding out there, as the kids say. <laughs> You're uh, watching the cornhole championships. That's very, 
Very exciting and a weird name, yes. I've always thought. But what are you going to do? <laughs> Let's talk about this draft class. I've really seen no consensus about what people think about this draft class. I've heard the argument that there are a couple guys who would go number one in a typical draft. I don't see that myself. Uh, but also that there's decent depth, not great depth. What are you hearing about this class? Uh, I've actually, I've heard very good depth, very, very good depth, but um, not like at the very top, to your point. I mean, I, I don't, the presumed number one guy may not have gone top three last year. I mean, he's compared to the number four pick from last year. So yeah. I, like, I think that, I think it's, but I think that there's a lot of, potential depth in that, you know, we just had no way of knowing how these guys would have performed this year. So, you know, it's really like a pick your flavor situation. And I think that like, you know, with the high schoolers and even the pitchers, like the the presumed number one pick coming into this year, Emerson Hancock is likely to go like late top 10, probably Mm -hmm. mid to late top 10. And I mean, had he pitched for more than like a day for Georgia, I I think (laughs) that you you know, there, he easily could have come back around and been the number one guy. So I think that it's a deep class because teams are very easily able to say, like, look, I, I could easily see this guy. Have, could have, you can easily sell your fan base and say, this guy could have been a top five guy if we had just seen him, you know? And so um, I think that there are going to be a lot of pleased front offices because there are so many divergent opinions that are totally merited, I think. Well, and the other thing that's interesting that's sort of come out today is there's a growing thought that a handful of teams could just effectively punt on first-round picks this year by by taking a guy who is considered to be completely unsignable, offering him the minimum, and then you get that pick minus one next year. Right. Very interesting. Just because, you know, and that would be such an analytics way to think about it, you know, like, okay, if all these teams like these guys, we don't feel that confident mm-hmm. in it. So we're just going to go ahead and wait a year, especially because, you know, we're going to have this abbreviated season this year. We're not going to really have the minor league, so we can't even develop this kid. On the other hand, on the other hand, mm-hmm. uh, senior pitchers, especially, or college pitchers, could easily factor into this presumed shortened season because they'll have put on zero miles on their arms, right? Like mm-hmm. this entire year. So I think that there's, it's, it's a really interesting confluence of views. And I would be surprised at the end of the day if we do see any teams punt, particularly in the top 15, but there are rumors like teams in the top 10. And would you even blame yourself, blame a team if they were at eight? They don't feel great about not getting one of their top five guys. They just say, look, this is our equivalent of trading this year's first for next year's and yeah. preserving all that money, you know, for an overslot deal in the second and third rounds and getting guys that you think you might have taken in the first round anyway. Well, and base, the baseball draft is so weirdly complicated because of the bizarre rules that go around it. There's right. a, a thought that next year's JUCO class is going to be, you know, one for the ages because a lot of these guys, a lot of these high school kids who aren't going to get picked in these five rounds are going to go the JUCO route, so they're eligible again next year. And there's a unique opportunity to be selecting from an incredibly deep JUCO pool and still have the guy be, you know, 18, 19 years old with a ton of development left. Totally, so you can totally. See, you can see the the logic of trading that pick for a pick next year, even if you know it's going to be one pick worse. And the team that I've heard time and time again is the Angels at 10. Hmm. That's interesting. Um, 
That's really interesting because, again, I think that they are in a position where they could easily take a college pitcher, which they could badly use. Um, you know, there's a team that was hot after several free agents, um, pitching free agents, and they weren't able to get any of them. And the trade got nullified, I believe, that would have gotten them one of those starters. And so, you know, if they have designs on competing this year, and any year that you have – Anthony Rendon and Mike Trout, you've got to try to win it, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they've, on their payroll, I, I think that they're in a great spot to draft one of these college pitchers and have him play right away. And I'm not sure that a guy that they get next year at 11, right, because you you just get one less pick, if they mm-hmm. take that guy at 11 next year, are they going to get the same kind of player? I'm, I'm just, I'm a little dubious about that. So I think they're in a good spot. Although I guess theoretically it could be two picks lower if, it, it, somebody would, else does if it. somebody else yeah. does it yeah I, I wonder how that would work but it's uh that hasn't really been tested before but at the no. same time what you're talking about is always that great baseball argument of are we going to bring the guy up now or are we going to preserve service time and let him develop mm, a little bit so that's good point yeah i, I wonder if guys would just be burning you know an, an option right away getting him up and starting the clock yeah yeah that's fair too i I mean, I guess it just depends on if you like any of them. I think that college pitching in the first round is really strong from my untrained eye as far as, like, looking at who the top guys are and the way that they grade relative to the last, the last few years. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's really good. And um, relatively speaking, again, and especially because, like, you know, what? yes, we don't have games to watch, but we have so much more in terms of the analytical side, like the, you know, pitch movement and spin rate and that sort of thing. Like, they're able to track, like, I think this Nick Fitzko story is absolutely amazing. He was a pitcher. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think who, he's so, I think it's so overrated. Well, like he's pitched basically nothing. No one got a chance to see him this year. Um, you know, he was invited to some all-star classics and that sort of thing. Yeah. But his spin rate is major league ready right now. Mm-hmm. Like this is a guy that but, – but he would have never, ever gotten the chance to be a, even a first-round pick in the past, especially with these circumstances. But because of the fact that they can see – you know, the way that his curveball tilts and the way that his fastball spins and moves. Mm-hmm. I mean, he is, he is literally like a number three pitcher right now <laughs> in terms of stuff. And I mean, yeah. they're able to quantify that. And but, well, you know, but you're no talking about, about command and that sort of thing. Yeah. Right. And you're also talking about in a situation where you're not facing live batters. You're basically throwing, right. ba- throwing batting and well, not even batting practice, just, just throwing, just throwing a bullpen mm-hmm. session effectively. Mm-hmm. Not even. The, yeah. the, the Bisco like, thing, yeah. he's obviously had a ton of helium lately. Talks that he could be on the board as high as eight, uh, in play as high as eight. I just think it's crazy. People make such a big deal out of the fact that he's 17 years old. He's going to be 18 tomorrow or the next day. So it's, insane. It's not like he's, he, but I'm saying he's not a baby. It, there's babies yeah. in this draft. If you want to talk about, that's fair. If you want to talk about somebody like that, Let's talk about somebody like Blaze Jordan, who you know every, <laughs> everybody in the world knew a couple of years ago, and was the the Seth Beers of the of the draft. <laughs> uh, you know, a, a ways Great back, recall, yeah. hitting 500 foot home runs as a 13 year old, just the maybe the some of the biggest power potential we've ever seen. Blaze Jordan is going to turn 18 in December. Basically wow. on Christmas, he's he's mm-hmm. seventeen and a half, and you know go down a little bit further. The guy's probably unsignable, but Robbie Ashford is another player who could be picked in the top five rounds. 
Robbie Ashford turns uh, he turns eighteen in October. Ashford also the number eight dual uh, pocket passer in the uh, twenty twenty class and signed with Oregon. So wow. there's quite there's some giant signability issues with him, but he's another guy who's a baby. Bitsko mm-hmm. is literally going to be eighteen next week. It's not he's not Blaze Jordan. It's not he doesn't have six more months. Uh, I mean, yeah, it's. Uh... I get what you're saying. And that six months could be a huge difference for yeah. a guy like Blaze Jordan had he been able to, like, continue to play. But I, I think that that's – you're hitting on, like, what makes this draft so interesting and, you know, I mean, pretty much a total crapshoot. But I think that it's – you know, that being said, I we talked about this from – I think it was the first week of quarantine. The idea that teams – that are way out ahead of it. You know, the teams that have the big scouting departments that have the heavy analytics, they're going to have a lot of confidence, I think, in knowing, you know, the what and identifying, trusting their departments years mm-hmm. in advance and, you know, and trusting that what they saw out of Blaze Jordan at 15 and 16 and through his age 17 season, you know, like, is going to be like that they know how to extrapolate that work and you know and i'm sure they've all done the interviews the zoom interviews and all that and you know they're at a good place now so i i think it's going to be just incredibly interesting oh i agree as a huge baseball nerd yeah i I agree completely um it's more philosophically interesting than actually interesting but yeah oh yeah because there's no way to know right i i agree with what you're saying and i i do not want this to come off like I'm just shitting on Nick Bitsko for no reason. He's he's a PA guy, all of that. But he mm-hmm. there's this idea that he came out of nowhere. He was one of the top pitchers in the 2021 class before he moved up. Everybody knew who this guy was. And then he shows up, has one crazy session, and he's going to be the eighth pick in the draft. That just that just seems quick to me. I don't think he will, for the record. But it, it, he will go in the first round and. I, I think it's more just incredible of the, the sign of the times that this guy would have never declared a year early in the past, you know, and because of what he has been able to show in like a garage in Pennsylvania, he's able to, you know, a, like teams are able to capture that data. Like, you know, Kylie McDaniel's able to post it on ESPN and he becomes, and now it's got every single team that maybe what didn't have that video scrambling to look for what they've got, but it's like, he hasn't barely pitched against, you know, varsity competition. Like, I mean, yeah, he didn't, you're right. He didn't come out of nowhere, but he hasn't, he doesn't exactly have, you know, a long history to draw on. And the other thing is that like, he's, you know, he's, he's, you were pointing out, yeah, he's a little bit older, but he's still like so young, I think at the same time. And it's, it's just, it's a really fascinating story. His story has always kind of reminded me of uh, Jay Groom. From a couple of years ago. Oh, yeah. I saw, yeah. Everybody was fascinated by Groom coming into the draft. Mm-hmm. Super big, sturdy frame, has a, a bunch of off speed stuff, has a bunch of pitches, has an advanced feel, all of that, and ends, ends up, well, you know, we think maybe he's in play at number one, ends up going 12, and he's been okay. Hasn't mm-hmm. been, hasn't been great, isn't on a fast track to the majors or anything like that in that Boston system. I don't. I just. I think we're going to see a very similar thing happen to Bitsko. I honestly do. I can see it too. Yeah. I mean, I. I just can't shake what I've seen in terms of like the spin race. I mean, I, you know, in either direction, whatever, however his career goes, it's going to dictate. I think a lot of how we see that data treated in the future. Because if it is, 
one of those things where he is like the phenom that some team is going to entrust him with. Like, Mm -hmm. I think that that's going to be, you know, like it's going to have teams looking more and more at just like setting up their own little private thing and have a lot fewer guys going out to the Cape and that sort of thing to, you know, scout these players. Like, do we, are we even sure that Bitsko has a higher upside than like a Micah Bell or somebody like that? I don't really necessarily think that, but I, I think that the, it's impossible to ignore, you know, the, the biometrics around how his, his pitches are. Like I just, I see that and it immediately is, it's just impossible to ignore. Like how is an 18 year old pitching at the same level as like, yeah. you know, Jamison Tyon and guys like that. Like it, it just blows me away that, you know, some guys were just made to do this and, um, you know, he might be like, he could end up going ahead of Reed Detmers, who is probably the best pitcher in college. Like in terms of production, he's been absolutely incredible, a total ace. And right now it looks like, you know, like Bitsko is going to go ahead of him, which is wild to me. Yeah. Detmers, that, that's a weird situation. It seems like early to mid teens is probably where he lands. Uh, I don't, I don't know, man. I just, the Bisco thing is weird. If it's me, I'm, I'm going to take a bell. He's, he's high on my list of people that I like for Philadelphia 15 if they're there. But let's talk oh, about yeah. the, let's talk about the top of this draft. Seems like a foregone conclusion right now that the number one pick is going to be Spencer, uh, Torkelson from, mm-hmm. from Arizona State. Would you agree? Yep. That's, I, I have not seen a draft in the last few years where it's been so locked in. Really? Cause yeah. people seem to yeah. really like Austin Martin as well, but. Oh, that, no, I agree. The bat but from Torkelson is, is just guy. so good. It's, but mm-hmm. you're also looking at the first time you've ever had a right-handed hitting, uh, first baseman, college first baseman go number one. Yep. Uh, yeah, we know that that's, that's the thing. A right-handed hitting first baseman in the first round. In college, especially, you know, the track record is not strong. And it's so weird to me, and I know part of this is the physical limitations, but I always like looking at where these guys were drafted previously, and Torkelson wasn't drafted in 2017. It's That's so weird for a guy who has that advanced a hit tool and that kind of power. I mean, again, I compared him, like everyone compares him to Andrew Vaughn from last year. And there's a reason why. I mean, it doesn't look conventional, but he gets the job done. And now we've seen Vaughn skyrocket um, and done a really good job in the minors. I think that it's it's just once you've gotten a taste of what a guy could be like, and you have a good comp, like I mean, the the it's like piranhas for these teams. They're they're all over it. Yeah, the consensus seems to be that he's, uh, I guess, a more a higher upside version of Andrew Vaughn. Uh, yeah, that's that's a great player. It's just if he doesn't hit, he's basically useless. Right, because he can't feel. I mean, there is that's the other thing. He's a higher upside. Some people think that he could play a corner outfield spot. I am not uh, one of them. Yeah, uh, I think either. if you're a first baseman in college, you're a first baseman. That's all there is to it. What do we think of Austin Martin? Probably going to be the second pick in the draft. Probably going to be a Baltimore Oriole. One of the better hitters in this draft. Advanced feel at the plate. Do you? Uh, do you think he makes sense in Baltimore? Yeah, I mean, Baltimore is just trying to accumulate, uh, you know, non-risky players as much as possible. Got Rushman last year. I think Martin is a, is a no-brainer for them. And honestly, if they were at one, it wouldn't have shocked me if they went Martin there either. And then Miami probably takes the last of the pseudo-big three and uh, takes Asa Lacey off the board? I, so what I've seen is that it's, 
Lacey is definitely their guy, but that Austin Martin is not like who they would take there. Like that, it would oh, wow. potentially be Zach Dean. Yeah. So, um, but I think it's going to be Lacey. What is it about? I don't know. What is it about Veen that they like over Martin? He's pretty much solid across the board, but I don't. I don't see the superstar upside. Uh, well, they say Veen's raw power is like you know top, definitely the best prep in terms. Of, well, not the best, but I guess the top amongst the top group, he's got the best combination of hit and power in terms of in raw terms of BP and, though. Yeah, and that stuff has to yeah. translate. That's just like. I love yeah. Garrett Mitchell. I think he might be the best overall player in the draft and the the highest upside player if everything clicks, but wow. he's got seven home yeah. runs in whatever in his college career. Yep, yep. Hey, I I totally get it. That's that's the thing with this draft and it's a theme. Like, do you take the tantalizing upside or do you take the rock solid, you know, foundation? And I think that Martin is a good blend of the two, but I I could just see the Marlins cutting like an underslide deal for Bean. What do we think of uh, a guy like Nick Gonzalez? Nick Gonzalez kind of – he's sort of a cross between, uh, to me, Nick Madrigal and, yeah. uh, and that the um, like the Hawaiian second baseman that went um, – Gastengera? Yeah, 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 yeah. There you go. Yeah, yeah. The guy who you wonder, you know, he's going to hit. You know he's going to hit. He's hit absolutely everywhere. Granted, there were issues about level of play in high school and, you know, New Mexico State is basically a band box. But then he goes to the Cape. He wins MVP. This guy is going to hit, but can he field? <laughs> I mean, he's a locked-in second baseman, uh, just like Madrigal, like cannot play anywhere else. I know the White Sox for a while were like, oh, yeah, maybe he could play short. No, that no. was never going to happen. <laughs> um, and I don't think Gonzalez – I think Gonzalez is probably like a slightly – probably has a little bit less upside than Madrigal – or I'm sorry, a little more upside but a little less of a – floor just because magical you know was basically hitting 400 in college and like mm-hmm. the best you know at Oregon State so I think that Gonzalez's floor is lower but it, yeah ceiling's higher I think he's going to be a good player and you know makes sense to be taken around five I personally I would go with a pitcher um but I think that it makes sense you're right he, he is going to hit he will make the major leagues Look, he is an interesting player in the lineup with Vlad Jr. if it is Toronto that takes him because he's going to get on base and he's going to create those RBI opportunities. Oh, yeah. Yeah, him and Bo Bichette together. Yeah, that that would be a fun, fun group of young players there in Toronto. Bo Bichette drives me crazy. Even I knew (laughs) the Phillies should have taken Bo Bichette in the second round that year. I I know that there's more that goes into it. It's a signability thing, but how do you pass on somebody who – it just seems like there is very little chance he's not going to be very good. The baseball draft is so stupid. I agree. Watch it tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. No, it's so funny. There's a guy, like, I'm obsessed with Jordan Walker. He's going to go in the second round or, like, cut, you know, in the comp pick first uh-huh. round. I, I He's, like, my favorite player. I have, like, no doubt in my mind this guy's going to be a star. And I, I just know someone's going to get him like the Yankees or some bullshit. And it's going to be so annoying because I think everyone knows that he's basically like, like Austin Martin, but two years early. And it it just drives me absolutely insane that, you know, that that's going to happen. How concerned are you that Walker's not going to be able to stick a third though? A little, but like, you know, he big already. He already real big. He's real big. Yeah. But I like, 
the only reason he'd fall is because of like strikeout concerns. But then at the same time, you've got Heston Kerstad and then these some of these other guys that have massive holes in their swing that are you know corner outfield only. I just don't get like why. I, and I like Kerstad too. I just mm-hmm. I don't get why like you wouldn't take the 18 year old rather than the 21 year old in that exact scenario. I agree with you. Walker is kind of in that same realm with a guy like Blaze Jordan in terms of upside power potential at the prep level. It's just a matter of, is he going to be able to make contact and take advantage of that? I remember years ago on the similarly ridiculous international free agent market, Philadelphia spent $4 million on Jalen Ortiz, a guy who they said is 50 home run potential. Unbelievable. You know, <laughs> ignore the fact that he's six foot, 255 pounds. It'll be fine. Uh, and it just, it just hasn't worked out. He's been yeah. okay, but certainly not worth $4 million. It's yeah, it's so yeah. hard to know if these guys who have a hard time making contact at the high school level are going to be able to make you know make contact and take advantage it's of that. It's very. I mean, you just said it with Nick Gonzalez. Like, I mean, we we luckily have seen him in the Cape, but had he not played there, like, I think that there's it's a it's a magnified version of that because he, yes, at least you played in college, but again, like you said, his high school competition was so so. New Mexico State. Eh. You know, like you're you're projecting so much more, and I think that's something that risk profile is something that you know we probably need to do a better job of taking into account. Could you see? Because to me, Walker looks like a future first baseman or a future corner outfielder. I like the arm. I wonder if it would play in right field because that would be interesting to me. Yeah, I think so. And I mean, his power profile totally fits a corner outfield spot. And I mean, if you can play third, you can generally play right, you know, just in terms of the arm strength. Um, and so, yeah, I, like I could totally see him there. But, you know, he's 18. Like there's a chance his, he could be completely different in terms of a frame in two years. And so, like, I think you have to start him at third and then just see what happens. And, you know, at, if you are looking at a guy that at worst is playing right field with you know, 70 grade hit power tool. Like that's, that's pretty solid. Well, a potential 70 grade power tool, but who knows what it looks like in games. Oh, totally. I mean, like to get him at 18 is, is wild to me. Like to 18 years old. Maybe. Yeah. No, I don't disagree with that. I just worry six five two twenty as a high school senior is going to mm-hmm. become, you know, is probably going to become six four two thirty five in a couple of years. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, certainly possible. Uh, I don't know. There's the, the other side of this draft is like if you if you know that this year is like not a flag waving year, but you know you've got you basically got a chance to like redshirt a dude. Like I, I mean, I think that there's it's true. not a bad idea to take the raw guy either here. Well, uh, yeah, that's what I think. Pitching, especially high school pitching, which is tradis- traditionally so risky, is now kind of interesting. Because mm-hmm. you can put mm-hmm. these guys totally. in, a, in a program to do nothing but just sort of get ready on their own for the next, you know, how 10 months, 11 months. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. I think that it's it, – or, you know, you put them on a plane. You get – instead of having to, like, put them through the ringer of, like, all the stuff. And I mean, I'm sure you'd like to have them in your system. But, you know, you're not going to be faulted for taking a guy that – goes to rookie ball and sucks, you know, like you're right. a, a really raw guy. I mean, you're not on the hook for his performance as a first year, and let's call it what it is. Like, that does matter mm-hmm. as a scouting director. So it really creates a lot of interesting possibilities. Well, let's talk about our teams. Uh, the Chicago White Sox pick at 11. 
who is the guy – oh, I guess the, the question is who is the guy you think they're going to pick and who are the guys you would like them to pick? Yeah, great question. Always different. Yes. Uh, everyone's got them pegged for Patrick Bailey. I catcher, don't get why he's good. I agree. I think that he's just like the most average across the board player. I mean, Andy's older. Like, I just – I'm totally out on him. I know that he's a switch hitter, which is nice. But, cool. And – yeah, cool. He like, hits poorly from both sides. Round. Yeah, exactly. Like, I am very down on him, so I would really – that would really suck, but a lot of people have him pegged for them. Um, I mean, like, I personally would love Reed Detmers. I think that he would totally fit them. They need a lefty, and I think that he could move quickly through their system, maybe even this year. Um, you know, like, I think that that's – that's a guy I'd be really, I'd really like. There's Ed Howard is a local Chicago mm-hmm. guy. He's in their ACE program, um, which is a really cool community thing that they do. Uh, and I think that that would be a great fit for them as well. So I like those guys, but like, you know, there's, we talked about Walker's probably my favorite. I love that Heston Kirsten too. I think, I think that that would be a fun pick if he were to slip, but um, you know, I, any of those guys basically just like don't draft Bailey in my mind. Yeah. I'm, I'm pretty much okay. Yeah, Howard's yeah. Inter- Howard's interesting because you're talking about an 18 year old who is probably going to end up being a plus hitting guy who can stick at shortstop, right? And who runs How pretty rare is that well. To hear about a high school shortstop, like yeah. there's no doubt he's going to always play shortstop, and he could. We're basically just guaranteeing he's going to be like a solid hitter. Right? Like, that's, I, I'm, I don't know. I like that. I like that profile. I'm glad you mentioned Patrick Bailey, where I guess, I guess, unfortunately, you mentioned Patrick Bailey is, uh, that's the guy <laughs> I've seen tied to Chicago as well. But, mm. like, what is it? What, what, he's an okay hitter, an okay fielder. What is, I mean, he's a switch hitter. That seems like his biggest strength at this point, but he doesn't really <laughs> hit that well from either side. Patrick he Bailey also, just screams back up at Major League Catcher to me. Totally. And, I mean, I guess the floor is pretty high. And, like, if you can guarantee – but, you know, we how easy is it to find just, like, a dude at Catcher? Who cares? I yeah. mean, I, I guess his makeup must be really good. He's 21. He And I don't know. I watched him. He, he catches on one knee, which I think is a really odd thing. Huh. Um I don't know that that's necessarily a bad thing, but it's like supposedly it might help his longevity at, at catcher. But, you know, to me, if you're taking a, a college catcher, he better hit the absolute shit out of the ball or yeah. else, like, he's not worth it. I don't care if he's an expert pitch framer at the college level like that. And I'm not sure that Bailey even is that. So, no. like, I'd much rather take Tyler Soderstrom if that's going to be, you know, the move. You feel like Zach Collins isn't your catcher of the future. You want a guy after Grandal. Like, but to me, catcher is such a risk, and I am just not I – mean, it's just not the thing I'd be targeting. Soderstrom's interesting too, but he's a guy – like I genuinely question his ability to stick at catcher. I think he may end up – He didn't up even start the, a catcher on his high school team. Right. I, I genuinely think he's going to end up being a first baseman when it's all said and done. He has better mm-hmm. than average athleticism for a backstop, but I don't – Really good hitter. I think yeah. he'd be a really good hitter. Yeah. But that's fun. But, but that, that – really good hitter doesn't profile nearly as well at first base as it does a catcher. That That's so valuable <laughs> behind true. the plate. Who cares yeah. if he's a 290 hitter if he's a first baseman? Especially since he doesn't have a ton of power. Yeah, not yet. I mean, again, younger, but you're right. Like, I mean, I, I just catchers, unless you're, you know, again, unless you're like 
the Adley Rushman or something like that. Like I just Joey Bart, whatever. I I'm not. I I think catchers get for whatever reason artificially driven up the boards. Even Joey Bart, I was kind of like, mm-hmm. oh, I didn't why is why is he so high? Like I get yeah. that he's a top ten or fifteen guy, but why him over you know their other guys? So yeah. Yeah, I love this. Uh, I love this explanation here. He's been the backup catcher on his high school team mostly because the starter was a really good defender. So this yeah, guy is worth really? a first round pick and wasn't good enough to unthrone the really good defender on his high school. Yeah, team? on his high school team. Where's yeah, that guy? Going? Not, yeah, I was going to say I don't think that guy is even playing in major or in college baseball. So yeah, yikes! That's tough, tough look. But I still like I. Yeah, you're right. I mean, if he's if Soderstrom's not a catcher long term, like, what are you even doing here? Is the hit tool that good? I don't know. Okay, so the dream is the dream pick is who? Uh, I guess it's man. I guess it's Reed Detmers. Um, but you know, if one of the other guys come falls, that Mick Abel, like you said, is a guy mm-hmm. I really like. Max Meyer. I mean, Hancock. If somehow he were to fall, really any of those college pitchers would be really fun. I love. Keston, Heston Kure said, just not daily. For me, you know, we've – there hasn't really been a consensus with Philadelphia. Uh, Cade Cavalli has been tied to them a little bit lately, and yep. it's fine. It's, you know, you, you can see where there's a lot of potential there, even though he wasn't a full-time pitcher until uh, not all that recently. For right. me, the dream is Garrett Mitchell. I oh, absolutely, really? positively love Garrett Mitchell. I just, I see, I think he's the most toolsy guy in the draft. I think he's got a pretty high floor because of how good he is defensively and how, and how, you know, how well he runs. The guy makes contact. It's, it's one of those questions of will that, that power potential ever become actual power in games? But I think he hits seven home runs or something like that uh, in the Cape League or in one of his summer leagues. So there's hope that it's going to start to translate. Worth pointing out that he does have type 1 diabetes, um, mm-hmm. and that's something to factor in. Teams have to be able to handle that and all of that. But the last time, I guess it was, what, 20 years ago? 20 years Oh, God, this, I feel so old. Uh, 20, <laughs> maybe 25 years ago. Regardless, between 20 and 25 years ago, the Philadelphia Phillies had the number 15 pick in the draft, and they, they took a gentleman with some question marks out of UCLA, and Chase Utley worked out pretty well. So, I I definitely be willing to uh, to give that chance to Garrett Mitchell. I think he immediately unseats Moniac and even honestly Adam Hazley, who I just think is the epitome of mediocre. Oh, how many left-handed white? uh, Well, we're going to keep doing it until we get it right. (laughs) And I think Mitchell is getting it right. Um, Yeah. You know, pitching is always interesting. I, I mentioned Mickabell earlier. I, I think he might have the highest upside of any of the prep pitchers. Yeah. I, I from everything I've read, Bitsko is apparently not on the Phillies' radar, despite being a local kid. And hmm. uh, it's you know, so be it. Who knows what what is actually real and what's just hyperbole here? Uh, day hmm. before the draft, uh, there's been a lot of talk lately that they could be tied to Pete Crow Armstrong, potentially the the best defensive center fielder. Uh, He's like the Mitchell. Yeah, yeah, I thought that's so funny because as you were explaining Mitchell, I'm like, you just basically described what I think of as Pete Crow Armstrong, but three and a half years younger. Well, but it's also what Pete Crow Armstrong. I think Mitchell is kind of what Pete Crow Armstrong could grow into be in college. We just we we there's still so Mm -hmm. much more uncertainty. Yeah, equal 
actually, I, I would say Crow Armstrong might even be a better defender. But I don't think yeah. he, I don't think he runs as, um, and that's not a knock on Mitchell White. Stretch of the imagination. We're no, talking no, about no. you know of the of the guys who are likely to be drafted. Probably they're both in the top five in terms of defensive outfielders. So yeah. it's just I don't know the I don't know that the contact is going to come from mm-hmm. from Crow Armstrong. I, it's nice to know that because of the defense, because of the instincts, he's almost certainly going to be a major league player at some point. It's just a matter of, is he your dynamic top of the order guy or is he somebody you're hiding at seven or eight? Yeah. That's always the issue with guys that you don't know. have questionable power, we'll call it. Um, But yeah, I mean, I I think that they're both useful players. Mitchell's more likely to be good sooner, but I think that Crow Armstrong's upside is certainly higher just because of the age. And I'll tell you what, Crow Armstrong is going to be a fan favorite wherever he ends up. He is just, he's so likable and he plays so hard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's he's a fun watch on the defensive side for sure. So, yeah, yeah. And I mean, coming into this year, he was pretty highly thought of. So Mm -hmm. it's surprising to think of a guy who didn't really play somehow having his stock get hurt, but um, I think well, part of that is just because... Bad summer last year. Yeah, not a great... Exactly. The last they saw of him, not that great. And then, you know, like, I mean, it's just hard to project that frame to being, like, a power frame at any point. But, you know, he's still so young. Well, I don't think it's ever going to be. I, I absolutely yeah. don't think it's ever going to be. I think this is... You know, he, there is some pop. I think there's probably do- double-digit home run potential there, but he's he's never going to be a guy who hits 20, 25 home runs. It's just... No. He, no his body would have to change to the point where he would lose flexibility and lose defensive ability. It wouldn't even be worth it. Yeah, I agree. Unlike... I really like Hassel, Robert Hassel, too. I think that he's an interesting comp, just because, like, two totally different ends of the... Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally different ends of the spectrum, but certainly, like, you see the power. You obviously compromise on speed with Hassel, but I think that he's he's a pretty interesting prospect as well as a prep outfielder. Were you worried that it seemed like Hassel just tried to prove he had power at basically every single <laughs> bat? A lot, of, uh, a lot of big swings from the guy. Yeah, I think that he... Well, I, I can't say that I watched a ton of them, but I can say that you were at the showcases. I, of course, I was. Um, but no, he like he was a he had his hit tool was so strong that he quickly in the second half, I believe, of his junior season, he basically just said, "All right, screw this. I'm going for the power. I need to boost my draft stock," kind of thing, mm-hmm. you know. And um, and it worked in some ways, but it, it definitely cost him a lot of his contact ability. And um, you know, and I think in this day and age. Uh, you know, the power is great. You can, you know, do both. It's really good. But I think that that what makes him so unique is that he should end up being a really good hitter that hits his way right onto the, onto the, into the major leagues, but he shouldn't compromise that hit tool for uh, swinging for the fences. Okay. Last thing. If it's not Bailey and it's not Detmers, who is the guy you're sort of bracing yourself to be like, okay, that, that picks all right. I think Howard. I mean, I just think Ed Howard because he's from Chicago and, you know, like there's not, he's, I think he's, it's exciting that his floor is so high as a, as an older senior high school player. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, there's not a lot of like, oh, this is CJ Abrams. You know, it's not like this guy's going to hit, you know, his power tool isn't like raw power isn't super high. So you're just hoping he ends up being like a Tim Anderson type, which if you can get that guy at 11, you're pretty happy. For me, it's Cavalli. Uh, you know, it's, mm. 
there's already issues about durability. Barely pitched as a high school senior. Didn't start pitching until he was a sophomore. And he has, uh, despite the fact that you know he's that that giant six four two twenty five workhorse frame. He's got some issues with throwing the ball over the plate, and uh, the, <laughs> the co- command issues with with college pitchers really worry me. Yeah, I, I understand that. I think that at worst, though, like the MLB has become so good at knowing which guys should go high, and so like at worst, you're looking at a really strong, really strong like opener or reliever, you know, and you know. Guys sitting, what, 97, 96, which is really strong for a 22-year-old. So I think that he's going to be good. Well, yeah, sitting 96 as as a starter. So that could potentially even tick up a couple of miles per hour if they're using a mile of the pen. There you go. But uh, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter if you don't throw the ball over the plate. <laughs> That's very true. Good times. That's very right, true. Well, I am uh, – I'm going to tell you, I am – more excited about this baseball draft than I should be. And maybe that's just a testament about uh, how bored we are and how starved we are for content, but I'm I'm genuinely excited for the baseball draft tomorrow. I am too. I Look, I think this conversation's helped, and hopefully it's helped other people. But, yeah, I'm, I'm excited for it. we got some live sports action coming. Even if it is just one giant Zoom call. Yes, that's true. <laughs> what I like to do some is... Some Zoom uh, calls are better than others. That's certainly true. What I like to do is just take a giant shit on everyone's excitement at the end of the show, so that uh, <laughs> don't want to you don't want people being uh, too up after listening to this. That's right. That's right. Keep them wanting or not wanting more. <laughs> All right. Well, that is going to be it for this week's oh episode of the Underdog. <laughs> I don't don't your little chime-ins there. That's look. Show's still over. No matter no matter how you criticize how I end it. Uh, that's it for this week's episode of The Underdog. For Anchukana, I'm Chris Hordell. Enjoy the Major League Baseball draft, and we'll see you next week.